Hello everyone and welcome to my podcast. So now, we're going to start with chapter 9 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, which is the fourth book of Harry Potter series and the fifth book of our complete podcast. It's chapter 9 and it is called The Dark Mark. Don't tell your mother you've been gambling. Mr. Weasley implored Fred and George as they made their way slowly down the purple carpeted stairs. Don't worry, Dad, said Fred gleefully. We've got big plans for this money. We don't want it confiscated. Mr. Weasley looked for a moment as though he was going to ask what these big plans were, but seemed to decide upon reflection that he didn't want to know. They were soon caught up in the crowds now flooding out with the stadium and back to their campsites. Raucous singing was borne towards them on the night air as they retracted, retraced their steps along cackling and waving their lanterns. When they finally reached the tents, nobody felt like sleeping at all and given the level of noise around them. Mr. Weasley agreed that they could all have one last cup of cocoa together before turning in. They were soon arguing enjoyably about the match. Mr. Weasley got drawn into a disagreement about cobbing with Charlie, and it was only when Ginny fell asleep right at the tiny table and spilled hot chocolate all over the floor that Mr. Weasley called a halt to the verbal replays and insisted that everyone went to bed. Hermione and Ginny went into the next tent and Harry and the rest of the Weasleys changed into pajamas and clambered into their bunks. From the other side of the campsite, they could still hear much singing and old echoing bang. Oh, I'm glad I'm not on duty, muttered Mr. Weasley sleepily. I wouldn't fancy having to go and tell the Irish they've got to stop celebrating. Harry, who's on a top bunk above Ron, lay staring up at the canvas ceiling of the tent, watching the glow of an occasional leprechaun lantern flying overhead and picturing again some of Grum's most spectacular moves. He was itching to get back on his own fireball and trying out the wrong sea fiend somehow Oliver Wood had never managed to convey with all his wriggling diagrams what that move was supposed to look like. Harry saw himself on robes that had his name on the back and imagined the sensation of hearing a hundred thousand strong crowd roar as Luda Bagman's voice echoed throughout the stadium. I give you Potter. Harry never knew whether he had actually dropped off to sleep or not. His fantasies of flying like crumb might well have slipped into actual dreams. All he knew was that, quite suddenly, Mr. Weasley was shouting, Get up! Ron, Harry, come on now! Get up! The sergeant! Harry sat up quickly, and the top of his head hit canvas. Smarter, he said, dimly. He could tell that something was wrong. The noises in the campsite had changed. The singing had stopped. He could hear screams and the sound of people running. 
he slipped down from the bank and reached for his clothes. But Mr. Weasley, who had pulled down his jeans over his own pajamas, said, No time, Harry. Just grab a jacket and get outside quickly. Harry did as he was told and hurried out of the tent, Ron at his heels. By the light of the few fires that were still burning, he could see people running away into the woods, fleeing something that was moving across the field towards them, something that was a meeting. Odd flashes of light and noises like gunfire, loud daring roars of laughter and drunken yells were drifting towards them. They came a burst. Then came a burst of strong green light which illuminated the scene. A crowd of wizards, tightly packed and moving together with wands pointing straight upwards, was marching slowly across the field. Harry squinted at them. They didn't seem to have faces. Then he realized that their heads were hooded and their faces masked. High above them, floating along in mid-air, Four struggling figures were being contorted into grotesque shapes. It was as though the masked wizards on the ground were puppeteers, and the people above them were marionettes, operated by invisible strings that rose from the wands into the air. Two of the figures were very small. More wizards were joining the marching group laughing and pointing up at the floating bodies. Tents crumpled and fell as the marching crowd swelled. Once or twice, Harry saw one of the marchers blast a tent out of his way with his wand. Several caught fire. The screaming grew louder. The floating people were suddenly illuminated as they passed over a burning tent, and Harry recognized one of them, Mr. Roberts, the campsite manager, the other three, looked as though they might be his wife and children. One of the marchers below flipped Mr. Mrs. Roberts upside down with his wand. Her nightdress fell down to reveal voluminous drawers. She struggled to cover herself up as the crowd below her screeched and hooted with glee. That's sick, Ron muttered, watching the smallest muggle child, who had begun to spin like a top, sixty feet above the ground, his head flopping limply from side to side. That was really sick. Hermione and Ginny came hurrying towards them, pulling coats over their nightdresses, with Mr. Weasley right behind them. At the same moment, Bill, Charlie and Percy emerged from the boys' tent, fully dressed with their sleeves rolled up and their wands out. We're going to help the ministry, Mr. Weasley shouted over all the noise, rolling up his own sleeves. You lot, get into the woods and stick together. I'll come and fetch you when we've sorted this out. Bill, Charlie and Percy were already sprinting away towards the oncoming marchers. Mr. Weasley tore after them. Ministry wizards were dashing from every direction towards the source of the trouble. The crowd beneath the Roberts family was coming ever closer. Come on, said Fred, grabbing Jenny's hand and staring and starting to pull her towards the wood. Harry, Ron, Hermione and George followed. They all looked back as they reached the trees. The crowd beneath the Roberts family was larger than ever. 
they could see the ministry wizards trying to get through it to the hooded wizards in the center. But they was having great difficulty. It looked as though they were scared to perform any spell that might make the robber's family fall. The colored lanterns that had lit the path to the stadium had been extinguished. Dark figures were blundering through the trees. Children were crying. Andrew's shouts and panicked voices were reverberating around them in the cold night air. Harry felt himself being pushed harder and thither by people whose faces he could not see. Then he heard Ron yell with pain. What happened? said Amani anxiously, stopping so abruptly that Harry walked into her. Ron, where are you? Oh, this is stupid. Loomis. She illuminated her wand and directed its narrow beam across the path. Ron was lying sprawled on the ground. Slipped over a tree root, he said angrily, getting to his feet again. Well, with feet that size, hard not to, said a drawling voice from behind them. Harry, Ron and Hermione turned sharply. Draco Malfoy was standing alone nearby them, leaning against a tree, looking utterly relaxed, his arms folded. He seemed to have been watching the scene on the campsite through a gap in the trees. Ron told Malfoy to do something that Harry knew he would never have dared say in front of Mr. Mrs. Weasley. Language, Weasley, said Malfoy, his pale eyes glittering. Haven't you better be hurrying along now? You wouldn't like her spotted, would you? He nodded at Hermione, and at the same moment a blast like a bomb sounded from the campsite and a flash of green light momentarily lit the trees around them. What's that supposed to mean? said Hermione fiercely. Granger, they're after muggles, said Malfoy. Do you want to be showing off your knickers in midair? Because if you do, hang around. They're moving this way, and it would give us all a laugh. Hermione's a witch, Harry snarled. Have it your way, Potter, said Malfoy, grinning maliciously. If you think they can't spot a mudblood, stay where you are. You watch your mouth, shouted Ron. Everybody present knew that mudblood was a very offensive term for a witch or wizard of muggle parentage. Never mind, Ron, said Amani quickly, seizing Ron's arm to restrain him as he took a step towards Malfoy. There came a bang from the other side of the trees that was louder than anything they had heard. Several people nearby screamed. Malfoy chuckled softly. Scare easily, don't they? He said lazily. I suppose your daddy told you all to hide. What's he up to? Trying to rescue the muggles? Where are your parents? said Harry, his temper rising. Out there wearing masks, are they? Malfoy turned his face to Harry, still smiling. Well, if they were, I wouldn't be likely to tell you, would I, Potter? Oh, come on, said Hermione with a disgusted look at Malfoy. Let's go and find the others. Keep that bushy big head down, Granger, sneered Malfoy. Come on, Hermione repeated, and she pulled Harry and Ron off up the path again. 
I'll bet you anything his dad is one of the mass lot, said Ron hotly. Well, with any luck, the ministry will catch him, said Hermione fervently. Oh, I can't believe this. Why have the others gone too? Fred, George and Ginny were nowhere to be seen. Though the path was packed with plenty of other people, all of them looking nervously over their shoulders towards the commotion back at the campsite. A huddle of teenagers in pajamas was arguing vociferously a little way along the path. When they saw Harry, Ron and Hermione, a girl with thick curly hair turned and said quickly, Oh, say, Madame Maxime, knows I haven't Purdue. Uh, what? said Ron. Oh, the girl who had spoken turned her back on him, and as they walked on, they indistinctly heard her say, Hogwarts, box patterns, muttered Hermione. Sorry, said Harry. They must go to Box Patterns, said Hermione. You know, Box Patterns, Academy of Magic. I read them about it in an appraisal of magical education in Europe. Oh, yeah, right, said Harry. Fred and George can't have gone that far, said Ron, pulling out his wand, lighting it, lighting it like Hermione and squinting up the path. Harry dug in the pockets out of his jacket for his own wound, but it wasn't there. The only things he could find were his own nucleus. Ah, no, I don't believe it. I've lost my wound. You're kidding. Ron and Hermione raised their wounds high enough to spread the narrow beams of light further on the ground. Harry looked all around him, but his wound was nowhere to be seen. Maybe it's back in the tent, said Ron. Maybe it fell out of your pocket when we were running, Manny suggested anxiously. Yeah, said Harry, maybe. He usually kept his wand with him at all times in the wizarding world, and finding himself without it in the midst of a scene like this made him feel very vulnerable. A rustling noise made all three of them jump. Winky, the house elf, was fighting her way out of a clump of bushes nearby. She was moving in a most peculiar fashion, apparently with great difficulty. It was as though someone invisible was trying to hold her back. There is bad wizards about, she squeaked distractedly as she leaned forwards and labored to keep running. People high, high in the air, Winky's getting out of the way, and she disappeared into the trees on the other side of the path panting and squeaking as she fought the force that was restraining her. What's up with her? said Ron, looking curiously after Winky. Why can't she run properly? Bet she didn't ask permission to hide, said Harry. He was thinking of Dobby. Every time he had tried to do something the Malfoys, Malfoys wouldn't like, he had been forced to start beating himself up. You know, household get a very raw deal, said Hermione indignantly. It's slavery, that's what it is, that Mr. Crouch made her go up to the top of the stadium and she was terrified and he's got her bewitched, so she can't even run when they start trampling tents. Why doesn't anyone do something about it? Well, the elves are happy, aren't they? 
Ron said. You heard old Winky back at the match. How self is not supposed to have fun. That's what she likes, being bossed around. It's people like you, Ron, Hermione began hotly, who prop up rotten and unjust systems just because they're too lazy to. Another loud bang echoed from the edge of the wood. Let's just keep moving, shall we? said Ron, and Harry saw him glance idly at Hermione. Perhaps there was truth in what Malfoy had said. Perhaps Hermione was in more danger than they were. They set off again, Harry still searching his pockets even though he knew his wand wasn't there. They followed the dark path deeper into the wood, still keeping an eye out of Fred, George and Ginny. She pa- they passed a group of goblins who were cackling over a sack of gold they had undoubtedly won, betting on the match, and who seemed quite unperturbed by the trouble on the campsite further, still along the path. They walked into a path of silvery light, and when they looked through the trees, they saw three tall and beautiful villas standing in a clearing surrounded by a gaggle of young wizards, all of whom were talking very loudly. I pulled down about a hundred sacks of galleons a year, one of them shouted. I'm a dragon killer for the committee for disposal of dangerous creatures. No, you're not, yelled his friends. You're a dishwasher at the leaky cauldron, but I... I'm a vampire hunter. I've killed about 90 so far. A third young wizard, whose pimples were visible even by the dim, silvery light of the villa, now cut in. I'm about to become the youngest ever minister for magic. I am. Harry snorted with laughter. He recognized the pimply wizard. His name was Dan Shunpike. And he was, in fact, a conductor on the triple-decker night bus. He turned to tell Ron this, but Ron's face had gone oddly slack, and next second Ron was yelling, Did I tell you I've invented a broomstick that'll reach Jupiter? Honestly, said Hermione again, and she and Harry grabbed Ron firmly by the arms, wheeled him around, and marched him away. By the time the sounds of Vila and their admirers had faded completely, they were in the very heart of the wood. They seemed to be alone now. Everything was much quieter. Harry looked around. I reckon we just wait here. You know, we'll hear every anyone coming a mile off. The words were hardly out of his mouth. Luda Bagman emerged from behind a tree right ahead of him. Even by the feeble light of the two wounds, Harry could see that a great change had come over Bagman. He no longer looked buoyant and rosy-faced. There was no more spring on his step. He looked very white and strained. Who's that? He said, blinking down at them, trying to make out their faces. What are you doing here all alone? They looked at each other, surprised. Well, there's a sort of riot going on, said Ron. Bagman stared at them. What? On the campsite, some people have got hold of a family of muggles. Bagman swore loudly. Damn them, he said, looking quietly distracted, and without another word, he disappeared. He disapparated with a small pop.
Not exactly on top of the things, Mr. Bagman, is he? said Amani, frowning. He was a great beater, though, said Ron, leading the way off the path into a small clearing and sitting down on a patch of dry grass at the foot of a tree. The wimborn dwarfs won the league three times in a row while he was with him. He took his small figure of crumb out of his pocket, set it down on the ground and watched it walk around for a while. Like the real crumb, the model was slightly dark-footed and round-shouldered, much less impressive on his splayed feet than on his broomstick. Harry was listening out for noise from the campsite. Everything still seemed quiet. Perhaps the riot was over. I hope the others are okay said Amania for a while. They'll be fine, said Ron. Imagine if your dad catches Lucius Malfoy, said Harry, sitting down next to Ron and watching the small figure of Crumb slouching. Over the fallen leaves, he's always said he'd like to get something on him. They'd wipe the smirk off old Draco's face, all right, said Ron. Those poor muggles, though, said Hermione nervously. What if they can't get them down? They will, said Ron reassuringly. They'll find a way. Mad, though, to do something like that when the whole Ministry of Magic's out here tonight, said Hermione. I mean, how do they expect to get away with it? Do you think they've been drinking or they just... But she broke off abruptly and looked over her shoulder. Harry and Ron looked quickly around too. It sounded as though someone was staggering towards their clearing. They waited listening to the sound of the uneven steps behind the dark trees. But the footsteps came to a sudden halt. Hello, called Harry. And there was silence. Harry got to his feet and peered around the tree. It was too dark to see very far, but he could sense somebody standing just beyond the range of his vision. Who's there? he said, and then, without warning, the silence was rent by a voice unlike any they had heard in the wood, and it uttered not a panic shout, but what sounded like a spell. Mors Medora! And something vast, green and glittering, erupted from the patch of darkness. Harry's eyes had been struggling to penetrate. It flew up over the treetops and into the sky. What the? gasped Ron as he sprang to his feet again, staring up at the thing that had appeared. For a split second, Harry thought it was another leprechaun formation. Then he realized that it was a colossal skull composed of what looked like emerald stars with a serpent protruding from its mouth like a tongue. And as they watched, it rose higher and higher, blazing a haze of greenish smoke edged against the dark black sky like a new constellation. Suddenly the wood all around them erupted with screams. Harry didn't understand why, but the only possible cause was the sudden appearance of the skull which had now risen high enough to illuminate the entire wood like some grisly neon sign. He scanned the darkness from the person who had conjured the skull, but he couldn't see anyone. Who's there? He called again. Harry, come on, move! Hermione had seized the back of his jacket and was tugging him backwards. 
"What's the matter?" Harry said, startled to see her face so white and terrified. "It's the dark mark, Harry." Hermione moaned, pulling him as hard as she could. "You know whose sign?" "Voldemort's." "Harry, come on." Harry turned round, was hurriedly scooping up his miniature crumb. The three of them started across the clearing, but before they had taken more than a few hurried steps, a series of popping noises announced the arrival of twenty wizards, appearing from thin air, surrounding them. Harry whirled around, and in a split second, he registered one fact: each of the of these wizards had his wand out, and every wand was pointing right at himself. Ron and Hermione, without pausing to point, think he yelled, "Duck!" He seized the other two and pulled them down onto the ground. Stupefy, rode twenty voices. There was a blinding series of flashes, and Harry felt the hair. On his head, ripple as though a powerful wind had swept the clearing. Ha- raising his head a fraction of an inch, he saw jets of fiery red light flying over them from the wizard's wa- wands, crossing each other, bouncing off three trunks, rebounding into the darkness. Stop! Yelled a voice he recognized. Stop! That's my son. Harry's hair stopped blowing about. He raised his head a little higher. The wizard in front of him had lowered his wand. He rolled over and saw Mr. Weasley striding towards them, looking terrified. Ron, Harry! His voice sounded shaky. Hermione, are you all right? Out of the way, Arthur said a cold-cut voice. It was Mr. Crouch. He and the other wizard, ministry wizards were closing in on them. Harry got to his feet to face them. Mr. Crouch's face was taut with rage. Which of you did it? He snapped his sharp eyes, darting between them. Which of you conjured the dark mark? We didn't do that," said Harry, gesturing up at the skull. "We didn't do anything." Said Ron, who was rubbing his elbow and looking indignantly at his father. What did you want to attack us for? Do not lie, sir! Shouted Mister Crouch. His wand was still pointing directly at Ron, and his eyes were popping. He looked slightly mad. He had been discovered at the scene of the crime. Barty whispered a small. A witch in a long woolen dressing gown. They're kids, Barty. They'd never have been able to. Where did the mark come from? You three," said Mister Weasley quickly. Over there," said Amani shakily, pointing at the place where they had heard the voice. There was someone behind the trees. They shouted words, an incantation. Oh. Stood over there, did they? Said Mister Crouch, turning his popping eyes on Hermione. Now disbelief etched all over his face. Said an incantation, did they? You seem very well informed about how the dark mark is summoned, Missy. But none of the Ministry visits, apart from Mister Crouch, seemed to think it remotely likely that Harry, Ron, and Hermione had conjured the skull. On the contrary, at Hermione's words, they had raised all their wands again and were pointing in the direction she had indicated, squinting through the dark trees. We're too late," said the witch in the woolen dressing gown, shaking her 
head. They'll have to separate it. I don't think so, said a wizard, and with a scrubby brown beard. If his arm is degree, said Rick's father, our stunners went right through those trees. There's a good chance we got them. Amos, be careful, said a few of the wizards warningly, as Mr. Diggory squared his shoulders, raising his wand, marched across the clearing and disappeared into the darkness. Hermione watched him vanish with his hands over her mouth. A few seconds later, they heard Mr. Diggory shout, Yes, we got them. There's someone here. Unconscious. It's but blimey. You've got someone, shouted Mr. Grouch, sounding highly disbelieving. Who? Who is it? They heard snipping twings, the rustling of leaves, and then crunching footsteps as Mr. Degree re-emerged from behind the trees. He was carrying a tiny limp figure in his arms. Harry recognized the tea towel at once. It was Winky. Mr. Grouch did not move or speak as Mr. Degree disposed deposited. Mr. Crouch's elf on the ground at his feet. The other ministry wizards were all staring at Mr. Crouch. For a few seconds, Crouch remained transfixed, his eyes blazing in with white face as he stared down at Winky. Then he appeared to come to life again. This cannot be, he said jerkily. No, he moved quickly around Mr. Degree and strode off towards the place where he had found Winky. No point, Mr. Crouch, Mr. Degree called after him. There is no one else there, but Mr. Crouch did not seem prepared to take his word for it. They could hear him moving around, the rustling of leaves as it pushed the bushes aside. Bit embarrassing, Mr. Degree said grimly, looking down at Winky's unconscious form. Barry Crouch's house elf, I mean to say. Come off it, Amos, said Mr. Weasley quietly. You don't seriously think it was the elf, the dark marks, a visit sign. It requires a wand. Yeah, said Mr. Degree, and she had a wand. What? said Mr. Weasley. Here, look, Mr. Degree held up a wand and showed it to the Mr. Weasley, had it in her hand, so that's close, free of the code, and one use broken for a start. No non-human creature is permitted to carry or use a wand. Just then, there was another pop, and Luda Bagman apparated right next to Mr. Weasley, looking breathless and dis- Oriented, he spun on the spot, goggling upwards an emerald green skull. The dark mark, he panted, almost trampling Winky as he turned inquiringly to his colleagues. Who did it? Did you get them? Barty, what's going on? Mr. Crouch had returned empty-handed. His face was still ghostly white, and his hands and his toothbrush moustache were both Twitching. Where have you been, Barty? said Bagman. Why weren't you at the match? Your elf was saving you a seat to gulping gargoyles. Bagman had just noticed Winky lying at his feet. What happened to her? I have been busy, Ludo, said Mr. Crouch, still talking 
in the same jerky fashion, barely moving his lips. And my elf has been stunned. Stunned by you lot, you mean, but why? Comprehension don't. Suddenly on Bagman's round, shiny face, he looked up at the skull, down at Winky, and then at Mr. Crouch. No, he said. Winky conjured the dark mark. She wouldn't know how. She need a wand for a start. And she had one, said Mr. Degree. I found her holding one, Ludo. If it's all right with you, Mr. Crouch, I think we should hear what she's got to say for herself. Crouch gave no sign that he had heard Mr. Degree, but Mr. Degree seemed to take higher his silence for absent, he raised his own wand, pointed at it at Winky, and said, But narrate! Winky stirred feebly. Her great brown eyes opened, and she blinked several times in a beamist sort of way, watched by the silence. Wizards, she raised herself shakily into a sitting position. She caught sight of Mr. Diggory's feet, and slowly, tremulously raised her eyes to stare up into his face. Then more slowly still, she looked up into the sky. Harry could see the floating skull reflected twice in her enormous glassy eyes. She gave a gasp, gasped, looked wildly around the crowded clearing and burst into terrified sobs. Elf, said Degree Stanley, do you know who I am? I am a member of the Department of the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures. Winky began to rock backwards and forwards on the ground, her breath coming in sharp bursts. Harry was reminded forcibly of Dobby in his moments of terrified disobedience. As you see, Alf, the dark mark was conjured here a short while ago, said Mr. Degree, and you were discovered moments later, right beneath it. An explanation, if you please. I, I, I is not doing it, sir, Winky gasped. I is not how, knowing how, sir. You were found with a wand in your hand, barked Mr. Degree, brandishing it in front of her and as the wand caught the green light that was filling the clearing from the skull above harry recognized it hey that's mine he said everyone the clearing looked at him excuse me said mr degree incredulously that's my wand said harry i dropped it you dropped it repeated mr degree in disbelief is this a confession? It threw it aside after you conjured the dark mark. Amos, think who you're talking to, said Mr. Weasley, very angrily. Is Harry Potter likely to conjure the dark mark? Uh, of course not, mumbled Mr. Degree. Sorry, carried away. I dr didn't drop it there. Anyway, said Harry, jerking his thumb towards the trees beneath the skull. I missed it right after we got into the wood. So, said Mr. Diggory, his eyes hardening as he turned to look at Winky again, cowering at his feet. You found this wand, he eh, elf, and you picked it up and thought you'd have some fun with it, did you? 
I is not doing magic with its uh, squeals, Winky, tears screaming down the sides of her squashed and bulbous nose. I is, I is, I is just picking it up, sir. I is not making the dark marks, sir. I is not knowing how. It wasn't her, said Hermione. She looked very nervous, speaking up in front of all these ministry wizards, yet determined all the all the same. Winky's got a squeaky little voice, and the voice we heard doing the incantation was much much deeper. She looked round at Harry and Ron, appealing for their support. It didn't sound anything like Winky did it. No, said Harry, shaking his head. It definitely didn't sound like an elf. Yeah, it was a human voice. Well, we'll soon see, growled Mr. Diggory, looking unimpressed. There's a simple way of discovering the last spell a wand performed. Elf, did you know that? Winky trembled and shook her head frantically, her ears flapping. As Mr. Diggory raised his wand again and placed it tip to tip with Harry's. Prior incantato, wrote Mr. Diggory. Harry heard Hermione gasped, horrified as a gigantic serpent-tongued skull erupted from the point where the two wands met. But it was a mere shadow of the green skull high above them. It looked as though it was made of thick grey smoke, the ghost of a spell. The Latrius, Mr. Degree shouted, and the smoky skull vanished in a wisp of smoke. So, said, the mis- said Mr. Degree with a kind of savage triumph, looking down upon Winky, who was still shaking convulsively. I is not doing it, she squealed, her eyes rolling in terror. I is not, I is not, I is not knowing how. I is a good elf, I isn't using wands, I isn't knowing how. You've been caught red-handed, elf. Mr. Degree Road, caught with a guilty wand in your hand. Amis, said Mr. Weasley loudly, think about it. Precious few wizards know how to do that spell. Where would she have learnt it? Perhaps Amis is suggesting, said Mr. Crouch. Cold anger is every syllable that I routinely teach my servants to conjure the dark mark. There was a deeply unpleasant silence. Amos Degree looked horrified. Mr. Crouch, not, not at all. You have now come very close to accusing the two people in this clearing who are least likely to conjure that mark, barked Mr. Crouch, Harry Potter, and myself. I suppose you are familiar with the boy's story, Amos. Of course, everyone knows, muttered Mr. Degree, looking highly discomfited. And I trust you remember the many proofs I have given over a long career that I despite and detest the dark arts and those who practice them. Mr. Crouch shouted, his eyes building again. Mr. Crouch, I, I never suggested you had anything to do with it, muttered Amos Degree, now reddening behind his scrubby brown Beard, if you accuse my elf, you accuse me, Diggory.
shouted Mr. Crouch. Where else would she have learned to conjure it? She, she might have picked it up anywhere. Preciously, Amos said Mr. Weasley. She might have picked it up anywhere. Winky, he said kindly, turning to the elf. But she flinched as though he too was shouting at her. Where exactly did you find Harry's wand? Winky was twisting the hem of her tea towel so violently that it was fraying beneath her fingers. I, I is finding it, finding it there, sir, she whispered. There, in the trees, sir. You see, Amos, said Mr. Weasley, whoever conjured the dark mark could have disapparated right after they'd done it, leaving Harry's wand behind, a clever thing to do, not using their own wand, which could have betrayed them, and Winky here had the misfortune to come across the wand moments later and pick it up. But then she'd have been feet away from the real culprit said Mr. Diggory, impatiently. Elf, did you see anyone? Winky began to tremble worse than ever. Her giant eyes flickered from Mr. Diggory to Luda Bagman and on to Mr. Crouch. Then she gulped and said, I see no one, sir, no one. Amos, said Mr. Crouch curtly, I am fully aware that in the ordinary course of events you would want to take Winky into your department for questioning. I ask you, however, to allow me to deal with her. Mr. Diggory looked as though he didn't think much of this suggestion at all, but it was clear to Harry that Mr. Crouch was such an important member of ministry that he did not dare refuse him. You may rest assured that she will be punished, Mr. Crouch added coldly. Master... Winky stammered, looking up at Mr. Crouch, her eyes brimming with tears. Master, please. Mr. Crouch stared back, his face somehow sharpened, each line upon it more deeply etched. There was no pity in his gaze. Winky has behaved tonight in a manner I would not have believed possible, he said slowly. I told her to remain in the tent. I told her to stay there while i went to sort out the trouble and i find that she disobeyed me this means clothes no shrieked winky prostrating herself at mr crowd's feet no master not clothes not clothes harry knew that the only way to turn a house elf free was to present it with proper garment it was pitiful to see why it's to see the way Winky clutched at her tea towel as she sobbed over Mr. Crouch's feet. But she was frightened. Hermione burst out angrily, glaring at Mr. Crouch. Your elf scared of heights, and those wizards in masks were levitating people. You can't blame her for wanting to get out of their way. Mr. Crouch took a step backwards, freeing himself from contact with the elf whom he always surveying as though he was some she was something filthy and rotten that contaminating his over shinned shoes. I have no use for a house elf who disobeys me, he said coldly, looking up at Hermione. I have no use for a servant who forgets what is due to her master.
and to her master's reputation. Winky was crying so hard that her sobs echoed around the clearing. There was a very nasty silence, which was ended by Mr. Weasley, who said quietly, Well, I think I'll take my lot back to the tent, if nobody's got any objections. Amos, that warned, told us all it can, if Harry could have it back, please. Mr. Diggory handed Harry his wand, and Harry pocketed it. Come on, you three, Mr. Weasley said quietly, but Hermione didn't seem to want to move. Her eyes were still upon the sobbing elf. Hermione, Mr. Weasley said more urgently, she turned and followed Harry and Ron out of the clearing and off through the trees. What's going to happen to Winky, said Hermione, the moment they had left the clearing. I don't know, said Mr. Weasley. The way they were treating her, said Hermione furiously, Mr. Degree calling her elf all the time. And Mr. Crouch, he knows she didn't do it and he's still going to sack her. He didn't care how frightened she'd been or how upset she was. It was like she wasn't even human. Well, she's not, said Ron. Hermione rounded on him. That doesn't mean she has not got feelings, Ron. It's disgusted the way. Hermione, I agree with you, said Mr. Weasley quickly, beckoning her on. But now is not the time to discuss elf right. I want to get back to the tent as fast as we can. What happened to the others? We lost them in the dark, said Ron. Dad, why was everyone so uptight about the skull thing? I'll explain everything back at the tent, Mr. Weasley said tensely. But... When they reached the edge of the wood, their progress was impeded. A large crowd of frightened-looking witches and wizards was, were congregated there, and when they saw Mr. Weasley coming towards them, many of them surged forward. What's going on in here? Who conjured it? Arthur, it's not him. Of course it's not him, said Mr. Weasley impatiently. We don't know who it was. It looks like they disappeared. Now excuse me, please, I want to go to bed. He led Harry, Ron and Hermione through the crowd and back into the campsite. All was quiet now. There was no sign of the masked wizards. Through several ruined tents were still smoking. Charlie's head was poking out the boy's tent. Dad, what's going on? He called through the dark. Fred, George and Jenny got back. Okay, but the others? I've got them here, said Mr. Weasley, bending down and entering the tent. Harry, Ron and Hermione entered after him. Bill was sitting at a small kitchen table holding a bedsheet to his arm, which was bleeding profusely. Charlie had a large rip in his shirt, and Percy was sporting a bloody nose. Fred, George, and Ginny looked unhurt, though shaken. Did you get them, Dad? said Bill sharply. The person who conjured the dark mark. No, said Mr. Weasley. We found Barty Crouch's elf holding Harry's wand, but we're none the wiser. 
about who actually conjured the mark. What? said Bill, Charlie and Percy together. Harry's wand, said Fred. Mr. Crouch's elf, said Percy, sounding thunderstruck. With some assistance from Harry, Ron and Hermione, Mr. Weasley explained what had happened in the woods. When they had finished their story, Percy swelled indignantly. Well, Mr. Crouch is quite right to get rid of an elf like that, he said, running away when he expressly told her not to, embarrassing him in front of the whole ministry. How would that have looked? If she had, she'd been had up in front of the department for the regulation and control. She didn't do anything. She was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Hermione snapped at Percy, who looked very taken aback. Hermione had always got on fairly well with Percy, better indeed than any of the others. Hermione, a wizard in Mister Crouch's position, can't afford a house elf who's going to run a mop. With a wand, said Percy pompously, recovering himself. She did not run a mock, shouted Hermione. She just picked it up off the ground. Look, can someone just explain what that skull thing was? said Ron impatiently. It wasn't hurting anyone. Why is it such a big deal? I told you, it's you know whose symbol, Ron said Hermione, before anyone else could answer. I read about it in the rise and fall of the dark arts. And it hasn't been seen for thirteen years, said Mr. Weasley quietly. Of course, people panicked. It was almost like seeing you know who back again. I don't get it, said Ron, frowning. I mean, it's still only a shape in the sky. Ron, you know who and his followers sent the dark mark into the air whenever they killed, said Mr. Weasley. The terror it inspired. You have no idea you were too young. Just picture coming home and finding the dark mark hovering over your house and knowing what you're about to find inside. Mr. Weasley winced. Everyone's worst fear, the very worst. There was silence for a moment. Then Bill, removing the sheet from his arm to check on his cut, said, Well, it didn't help us tonight, whoever conjured it. It scared the dead teachers away the moment they saw it. They all disapparated before he'd got near enough to unmask any of them. We caught the robotists. Robertses before they hit the ground, though. They're having their memories modified right now. Death Eaters, said Harry. What are Death Eaters? It's you know whose supporters call themselves, said Bill. I think we saw what's left of them tonight. The ones who managed to keep themselves out of Azkaban, anyway. We can't prove it was them, Bill, said Mr. Weasley, though it probably was, he added hopelessly. Yeah, I bet it was, said Ron suddenly. Dad, we met Rega Malfoy in the woods, and he was as good as told as his dad was one of the more of those nutters in masks. And we all know the Malfoys were right in with you-know-who. But... 
What were Voldemort's supporters? Harry began. Everybody flinched like most of the visiting world of Weasley's always avoided saying Voldemort's name. Sorry, said Harry quickly. What were you know whose supporters up to? Levitating muggles. I mean, what was the point? The point, said Mr. Weasley with a hollow laugh. Harry, that's their idea of fun. Half the muggle killings back when you-know-who was in power were done for fun. I suppose they had a few drinks tonight and could not resist reminding us all that lots of them are still at large. A nice little reunion for them. He finished disgustedly. But if they were the Death Eaters... Why did they separate when they saw the dark mark? said Ron. They'd have been pleased to see it, wouldn't they? Use your brains, Ron, said Bill. If they really were the theaters, they worked really hard to keep out of Azkaban when you-know-who lost power and told all sorts of lies about him forcing them to kill and torture people, but I bet they'd be even more frightened than... The rest of us to see him come back. They denied they'd ever been involved with him when he lost his powers and went back to their daily lives. I don't reckon he'd be over pleased with them, do you? So, whoever conjured the dark mark, said Amani slowly, were they doing it to show support? For the Death Eaters or to scare them away? Your guess is as good as ours, Hermione, said Mr. Weasley. But I'll tell you this. If it's only the Death Eaters who ever know how to conjure it, I'd be very surprised if the person who did it hadn't been a Death Eater once. Even if they're not now. Listen, it's very late and if... Your mother hears what happened. She'll be worried sick. We'll get a few more hours sleep and then try and get an early boat out of here. Harry got back into his bunk with his head buzzing. He knew he ought to feel exhausted. It was nearly three in the morning, but he felt wide awake, wide awake and worried. Three days ago, it felt like much longer. But it had only been three days it had awoken with his car burning, and tonight, for the first time in thirteen years, Lord Voldemort's mark had appeared in the sky. What did these things mean? He thought of the letter he had written to Sirius before leaving Privet Drive. Would Sirius have got it yet? When would he reply? Harry lay looking up at the canvas, but no flying fantasies came to him now to ease him to sleep, and it was a long time after Charlie's snores filled the tent that Harry finally dozed off. Okay everyone, the chapter is finished and we are going to start our next chapter which is Mayhem at the Ministry in our next podcast. Till then, thank you for listening.